Every time I talk to someone that wants to come and worship with us and be a part of this church, it's one of the very first things I tell them. If you're looking for a perfect church, this isn't it. And if you were to go out and to look at all the other churches around, you're going to find something that's similar. None of us are perfect. Now, there are some that are going to be able to hide it maybe a little bit longer than we do. But the matter of the fact is that we, none of us, are perfect. Because it is made up of humans who are still being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And here's the thing, we're not the only ones. It's not just our culture. The New Testament churches were not perfect. Sometimes I hear people say, and I've heard this growing up and so forth, we are the church of the Bible. We want to be the church of the Bible. Well, which one? That's always my question. Which one? You got the Romans and the Galatians. They were struggling over circumcision and, and holy days and, and following the law and things of that sort. Uh, you got the church at Philippi. They, they have two women. They're at odds with one another. And evidently, it's disrupting the church. They're, they're both very important to the congregation there. But he, Paul tells them, listen, the whole church needs to get involved because they are at odds. The church at Thessalonica, they had some guy who was going around spreading lies in the name of Paul, saying Jesus has already returned for a second time. Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus to deal with false teachers. He sends Titus over to Crete in order to restore order to the network of house churches. In Revelation, Jesus has a message he wants to send to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we see that some of them were apathetic due to wealth and others were morally compromised. Today, we begin a new series of lessons about one of these very imperfect churches, Corinth. In fact, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians if you would like to. We're going to be in chapter 1 here in just a moment. But let me tell you some background information because it's very important to understanding this book. Corinth was a, a very prominent city-state in Greece. It was probably its wealthiest city. It was every two years, it held what was known as the Isthmian Games. It was second only to the Olympics. It's very possible Paul attended some of these games at times because Paul actually talked about in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 some of the very events that you would see at the Isthmian Games, such as running and boxing. He even mentions the perishable wreath. Because the victor's crown, it was, it, was made of, it, was, it was made of wilted celery. Imagine that. Instead of gold medals, you got wilted celery. Corinth had this 18,000-seat theater. Another 5,000-seat auditorium um, concert hall for drama and musical entertainment. Like America... 
They had plenty of entertainment and sports. There was a massive hill that overlooked. It was, it was known as Upper Corinth, but up there, there was the temple of Aphrodite. It was a huge temple to this goddess of love. It was so big that it housed, they said, a thousand cult prostitutes. They also had the, the temple to Asclepius, the god the Greek god of healing. There was Isis, the temple of Isis. It was the Egyptian goddess of seafarers and her male counterpart, Greek counterpart, Poseidon. They had a temple to Apollo. He was the national god of the Greeks. Believe me, when Missy and I were in Greece, you heard about Apollo. They even had a temple of Octavia. She was the sister of the emperor Octavius, uh, Octavian Augustus. Now that's important when we understand the background that most of these Christians had come out of. The Greeks believed in individualism and equality and freedom, distrust of leaders and authority. Sounds very familiar to today, doesn't it? And it was these very attitudes that continued to challenge the church. In fact, let's just talk about this church. We, we are given the history of where it all began. Started on Paul's second missionary journey when he comes to Corinth. We learn that there were many who believed and they were baptized. And they formed this new Christian community of God's people. One had been a ruler of the synagogue. His name was Sosthenes. Paul mentions him in the very outset of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. We also learn that he was a guy who was beat up by non-Messianic Jews who also was abusive towards Paul. Most of this church was made up of Gentiles. And when we use the word Gentile, what we are simply meaning is non-Jews. We're simply meaning those who are not a part of, of God's nation of people. While some came from the wealthy and powerful segments of society, the majority of the people in Corinth were middle class. A little bit lower standard than what we think of middle class today but again we see some very similarities so after a year and a half Paul moves he goes on he's continuing his mission work he establishes other churches he's visiting these other places and then he starts hearing word about the Corinthian church things are not going so well and that is the reason Paul writes the book of 1st Corinthians now, what many of you may not know is that this is not the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We don't have that other letter. We don't know what it says. We know that Paul, one of the things that he does is he answers some of the questions that the people had about these divisions that were going on. In fact, let me tell you about this church that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. This church was filled with divisions. Believers are suing one another. There was one who was having an affair with his stepmother. 
And many in the church were saying that that is absolutely that person's right to do that with their freedom in Christ. There were some who wanted to visit prostitutes. And then you got this other group over here, and they respond by saying, well, we just think everybody needs to be celibate. They had debates over, you know, who should, uh, how should pagans come out of paganism and into Christianity and what they should be doing. They disagreed about men's and women's role in the church. Prophecies and speaking in tongues were very much a part of what this church was doing, but it was not always done in a constructive way. And they even had some who did not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The true nature of these problems comes down into this spiritual arrogance and spiritual immaturity. Paul would say in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Already you have all you want, already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. If you don't know this, Paul has a spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> It is dripping with sarcasm. In case you missed the tone, he goes on and he says, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. So far, this does not sound real good, does it? Which is why you might be shocked in the way that he opens this book. Let's just read these first nine verses. Paul, called by the will of God to, the, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that the way you would have thought this letter would have begun? <laughs> Knowing all these problems that they have, and this is how Paul is going to start. These are some pretty remarkable claims. Paul not only says, am I called to be a special servant of Christ as an apostle of Jesus? He says, you were called by God into service. And he doesn't say that to them to say, well, you know, you are special, more special than all the other Christians. No, no, no. In fact, if you notice, he says that it's all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are all set apart from this confusion in the perishing world. And he says that they, we, are sanctified. That's a big word there, sanctified. It means to set apart for the service of God. Just like Israel. Leviticus 9, 1 and 2 says, 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. This is coming from the Septuagint, which means in the time of Jesus, there was a Greek version of these Hebrew scriptures. And so it's the exact same word. It's the same word as sanctified. He says, You shall be sanctified, for the Lord your God am sanctified. I am holy. Now, I love it when the Old and New Testament just comes together. It just, it just brings greater and powerful meaning to what we see. Paul echoes God's call to Israel, get this, to this predominant Gentile church. But what does that mean to them? What does that mean to us? It means we have been grafted in. It means that we represent God's kingdom in the world that does not know God. Exodus 19, he says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy, there's our word sanctified, nation. Now, if you went through Joe's class in 1 Peter, you may remember 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, where he says we're a priesthood. We're a holy nation. Where does that come from? It comes from places like this. Because what he's saying is that we are now a part of God's kingdom, God's people, which was huge. Now, as Exodus suggests, God's covenant people are called to represent God in the world. And we see this with Israel in, in the First Testament, and we're seeing it with Corinth here in this New Testament, and that is they were failing in their mission. In fact, their mission is the same mission of ours. To love God. How are they doing? Moral issues, doctrinal issues, disorderly worship, idolatry. He's saying that you are not living according to your calling. This is, this is going to continue to be, um, um, to, to be a tension that's going to play out throughout this book. But also, they, they fail in their mission in loving others. Because there's divisions, they're suing each other, there's, there's social distinctions, there's spiritual arrogance. And because of their, the way their lack of loving other people and loving God, they certainly are not going to be able to fulfill the mission of making disciples, of being a light of God to the world. Why? Because they're living just like the world. They're living in the same darkness of the world. Now, this is setting up everything for next week. Peyton's going to take next week. And Paul is going to hammer home these divisions that were occurring in the church. And he's setting it all up right here because what he is saying is that we are called. Our calling is to be in fellowship with everyone in every place who have called on the name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be in Christ is to be in fellowship with his church. Something that we're hearing a lot now, this is nothing new. This has been going on for, for decades. But I think the last couple of years, this really amped itself up. And that is this idea that I want Jesus, but I don't want his church anymore. That goes against everything it means to be in Christ. Because when you reject the assembly of God's called out people, you are in essence rejecting Christ himself. Yeah, but the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I don't agree with them on a lot of things. Go read Corinth tonight and then get back with me. You're kidding me? Folks, we're a part of a much larger movement. We're the called out people of God. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of extra here, a more wild talk, we're going to be dealing with some of the questions we can't get through in a sermon. And so one of the things we're going to talk about Thursday night is, how do I get this calling? That, is God still calling us? We'll talk about that. But, but we will talk about right now what it means to be the called out body of Christ. He's already told us. We just read it. In verses 3 and 4, he says, It is those who are, have participate in the covenant community as recipients of God's grace. In other words, we are here, and this is so important for this group of people because of their arrogance, is that we are not here because of our own merits. We're not here because we know everything. We're not here because we're a better person than everyone else. We are here simply by the grace and the mercy of God. And here's what he says. He's gifted everyone in that community <laughs> with this diversity of spiritual gifts. We'll see it when we get into 1 Corinthians 12. And he gives us these gifts to bear witness to the grace of God and to build up the community of believers. Here's the irony in all of that, is they even used these spiritual gifts that were supposed to be used in such a positive way, they even used them as a means of division. Paul insists in verses 7 and 8 that, look, you have not received the, what, the ultimate of what the community of believers are waiting for, which is the revealing of Jesus Christ the second coming of Christ Jesus is coming again and he is going to triumph over the darkness of evil and sin and death in our world until then he says that we wait we wait we rely on Christ's work and our midst and his grace to prepare us for that day so that we will be found guiltless in that day. And you may be saying, look, I've read Corinthians and these people are not guiltless. 
Boy, they have made a mess of things, and if we're honest, so have we. And that word guiltless, if you look it up, it means without accusation. Without accusation. And it's like, how in the world is Corinth? How in the world are we as a church? How are we going to be found without accusation when the Lord comes? And the only answer to that is grace. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's what Paul said to the church at Colossae. He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you as holy. Same word, sanctified. And blameless. And above reproach. That's our word guiltless. It's the same word. How, how are we going to be, be found this way before him? Through the reconciliation of the body of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is about seeing the church in a much larger frame of mind, in this cosmic frame of reference that points towards the final triumph of God's righteousness when he sets all things right in Jesus Christ. We are actors in this epic drama. We are the called out people of God. We are a part of God's plan and the final renewal of the world. And we'll talk about a little bit of that in Bible class this morning. That is why Paul is going to address their divisions and their immorality and their immaturity and their arrogance. And it's why we need to deal with our failures. And why we need to be confronted by those failures. I want to conclude with an interesting but very challenging thought to you. Paul opens by giving thanks for a church that is riddled with problems. Now, no doubt he writes to correct them. But he sees the church as the work of God. We can thank God even from, for problematic churches. Even those whose issues still need to be addressed. The Holy Spirit, you're going to see this as we go through it, the Holy Spirit did not withdraw the spiritual gifts from these people, even though they were just a mess. And it's because God loved them. He loved them even though they were flawed. And shouldn't we do the same with this church and with other churches that are out here that we don't agree with, but who have all called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? God loved them enough to try to continue to transform them into the likeness of Christ. But I can assure you that they would never be perfect. And neither will we. 
We've got to guard against false claims of maturity, a sense of thinking that we have got it all figured out, that we have arrived in some sense, that we've achieved sinless perfection. Because the only time that's going to happen is when Jesus comes again. That's why we wait. It should comfort us. It should comfort us in this pressure-filled world where, where we as Christians, we struggle. But I love verse 9. God is faithful. God is faithful. Paul's message to these people and to us is simply this. You are the called out people of God. Now act like it. Allow this book to open your mind. Let it soften your heart. Allow it to make real changes in your life and in your attitude. We are the called out community of God. What we do and how we live, it goes beyond our little town we live in, and it certainly goes beyond even our small group who meets here each week. We are a part of an epic drama that is happening in our world, and we've got to see ourselves past it and see ourselves in it. And so we begin. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We know, Father, that without your Son dying on the cross for our sins, we are nothing. We know that we're still living in our sins. We know that we have no hope. Father, help us. Help us to find that humility. Help us to find the understanding and, and that, that you, Father, are still transforming us and helping us and and we still are going to go through our problems. And, and Father, maybe our problems aren't as deep as somebody else's out there. But Father, we, we know. We know we're always going to have them. And we need your Son. We need your Spirit living in us, gifting us, sharing this wonderful grace, using these wonderful gifts as we encourage each other and build each other up as we continue to build up your community. Father, help us in the times that we have failed our mission. Help us to see just how important it is that we are your representatives in this world. Father, I pray for those who may have some things heavy on their minds right now. Maybe it's, it's their own attitudes. Maybe it's their own sinfulness. Maybe there's some father that just, they, they have, they've never come to you in, in all-out faith and, and, and being baptized, and being brought into this wonderful community of yours. Father, we just pray that you prick their hearts and that somehow we can be your instruments. 
Father, put those opportunities before us. And may we, guided by your Spirit, may we, we say and do those things that would be pleasing and right in your sight. Father, help us as we, as we have started this great book. We know that this church in Corinth is it's not, it's not apples and apples to us. But Father, we know there's so much to learn here. Father, just open our hearts and our minds. Help us not to be tempted to look at other people, but look within ourselves. Father, we thank you for loving us and caring for us. And it's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Jesus Christ, amen.